future hits. Through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm -hmm. looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Nah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Well, I tell you what a difference, what a difference uh, 24 hours makes because uh, just 24 hours ago I was laying in bed listening to the stream and listening to this show when you came on. Andy and Mitchell was the first caller, and uh, it was great, great stuff. So thanks for filling in. Hi, I'm John Warren. Sick, you can hear it, the cold and the whole head thing, and uh, TJ filled in yesterday. Mike was sick too which was a good day for him to finish off getting better because he has to go on the road. And they leave here any time now uh, to head to, where are they going, Utah? Utah. Is it 5.30 or 6? I saw two different Five, times. 5.30 or time, 6 o'clock tip. Got it. And one of the times that I saw wasn't us. It was somebody else that said 5.30, mm -hmm. which would be unusual for them to say airtime at 5.30 because only we do that. I will just say, love working with you guys. I do really enjoy the opportunity to host alone. I, I do. I, I think it's – I had a lot of fun with yesterday's show. I'm really proud of how it came out. And what, I think what is were, it that you like to be alone for? I like the control aspect. <laughs> I'm sure you like you like sitting in the lead chair, don't you? It's uh, yeah. It is nice to have more control over what happens in a show, and it's fine. Like it's it's fine with me me sitting over here. Yeah. But it makes everybody more comfortable when you are sitting there making the decisions on what happens to the show. Well, when and Mike's here, he sits where you he sit. Sits in the lead and chair. He's in he's in control. He's in the lead chair, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm just like you now, when I, me and you host together, you sit in the lead chair. That's so. just because that's where I am 99% of the time because I'm with Mike. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and that's I'm fine. older than you, and I've been around longer than you. And, and that's fine. And, and I'm your and, boss. Other than that, and hey, take it away, man. Do it, what you want to do. That's totally fine. But I, it, it really, um, it, uh, getting just getting the opportunity to, uh, to I'll just bring my, uh, it's just me. And full control Nothing is nice. It's nice. I, I do like it. And, I, and yeah. I thought there were some really good conversations and really good points yesterday that we can rehash a little bit here yeah. today. Because, I mean, I want to get your thoughts. I want to get Mike's thoughts on, you know, some of the stuff that happened over the weekend. It just it was a crazy wonky. weekend. And by the way, nothing wrong with what you're saying at all. You, you should want to be that way. And you should want to do that and do it. And you did. And it worked out great. I really enjoyed the first hour, the first two phone calls, Dave and uh, Andy and Mitchell. Especially Andy's because... I agreed with everything he was saying, and he was saying it in a way that uh, um, just kind of made it all clear as to what I always been thinking, and that is that you know Oregon State might be in a better or not a bad position. They're starting to look better and better, getting some of these really good recruits, at least by stars, and and a few uh, these transfers, I should say. Things are starting to look up in that respect. The coaching uh, positions are all full now, and even support staff is all full. And yet, at the same time, on the other side of things, 
things are falling apart for Washington mm. and Arizona. Now, I know they're happy. They got two new coaches. In fact, I saw yesterday. I didn't even know about, um, about uh, Arizona's hire until you mentioned it in the first five minutes of the show yesterday. And I'm like, oh, man, I get it. When you're sick, you're not necessarily paying attention to things. But how did I miss that? Turned out it was not very far in front of when you mentioned it mm-hmm. that it all happened. So it was a, a yesterday thing. And I thought, oh, well, good for Brent Brennan. And I thought, I looked at, there was a, a video that showed the band and the cheerleaders and, and everything you do when you hire a new coach, right? And I thought, it just struck me. And, you know, part of Andy's call hit me on this too. As I was watching that, I thought, they, they can't be this happy. Because the guy that really turned them around just left. Yeah. And within days, they're all excited about some new guy. Yes, Brent Brennan is, is a great guy, and he was a tremendous coach here, and he was climbing the ladder. He was a finalist in 2020 when Jed Fish got the job. But you can't tell me that with the band and the this and the that and the excitement that they're excited about that because they just lost the guy hours before who they really wanted to keep. And, and the same thing. Same thing for Washington. They could still be good, and they got some really good news yesterday that happened while I was on the show. I mean, Fafita's going to stay, it sounds like, at least through spring ball, and so is their first-round wide receiver, McMillan. Yeah, but watch out for that April 15th uh, portal. They're they're both staying there for for the time being. They're not going to Washington, is I think what was was made clear. And, And I think Arizona would still be one of the top three teams of the Big 12 next year if those two stay. Yeah. It helps. It certainly helps. Okay. I think I think that still helps. But you're right. I mean, if you're just if you're a Wildcat fan, why I like are you excited? I I don't I don't think so. It and it kind of it's kind of uh, disheartening as a, as a fan of them how this all happened. I don't know if you saw yesterday, but I, I'm pretty sure Jed Fish was giving Arizona every single opportunity to not even come close to Washington's contract offer. Mm-hmm. I think Arizona he wanted five million dollars from Arizona. I think so. George Reister, I think you you fought, you've seen his stuff online. Right. He. He he's connected and he has a YouTube channel where he he'll break some stuff and, and talk about some subjects. He Played has in the conference. a few thousand. Yeah, he has a few. Uh, uh, I think over ten thousand subscribers on YouTube. He does a, a good job with a show, which I forget the name of. But I mean, he was reporting that Jed Fish was willing to let Arizona come up to five million dollars and he would stay. That's it, five million. And his number at Washington's a little under eight. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you know what? I I enjoy Tucson. I'm willing, I enjoy these players, I'm willing to go to $5 million and I'll stay here. And they couldn't even do that, partially because of their athletic budget downfall. Right, and it came out a it just, or so in, ago. In good, in good faith with the, the rest of the program, it's like, oh yeah, but I know we're a quarter billion dollars in debt with the, just the athletic program, mm-hmm. but by the way, we're going to pay the head coach a, a significant amount more money, and it's like, well, it's probably not the best idea in the world. So they, they didn't even bother to do that. So Arizona, a power four university, has zero chance to keep their football coach. Yeah. Period. And I, I didn't realize they what, had a chance. They and they should have done that. Yeah. They should have because you you pay for things that will pay off in the long run, and if the, if if in the medium run to long run they don't succeed in football, it'll put them further in debt. Mm-hmm. It it stinks. So I, I think of that in the terms of the Wildcat fans who are. Thinking of man, I, I'm growing up with with Arizona football. I I, I want these guys to root for now. Noah Fafita and, and McMillan both mm-hmm, staying. Mm-hmm. So you have those guys to continue to root for. But the head coach who brought those guys there, he's gone. He's a notorious job hopper. I mean, w- Washington hired him 
almost essentially knowing that he's going to go somewhere else. Like, think of it this way. We, we have a cut we want to play from Jed Fish. He was asked in his introductory press conference yesterday, which was airing in the second hour of the Joe Beaver show yesterday. Yeah. He was asked, you know, are you going to stay here? Are, are, are you going to stay? Uh, are you going to stay here? And, yeah. and uh, are you committed to this place long term? And, and here's what he said. Alexander, what would you say to that? Right. Well, I think that that's always a problem, right? Well, you can't be right. You can't be wrong. Whatever you say. I know that that comment's always going to be made. Is it a destination job? Uh, I would answer it this way. The Big Ten, the SEC right now is who's leading the football pathways. The college football landscape is about getting to the CFP. There's 12 teams that are going to compete every year starting next year in the college football playoffs. Um, if you look at what teams traditionally compete, it's about the same 12 or 14 teams. University of Washington is one of those 12 or 14 teams. Uh, that's why we coach. We coach to be able to take a seat at that table and to be able to give yourself a chance every single year with resources uh, beyond belief, with an opportunity to go out there with a fan base that's dying to continue to win, that have won national championships. And the idea of staying is why you come. The idea of being here is to win championships. And that's all I can promise, that we're gonna be here every single day doing everything we can to win a championship, knowing that Washington has the opportunity to do that every year. That is a lot of words to not say the word yes or no. Exactly, exactly. A lot of words. But two things can be true. What he said is correct. He, he did say the correct thing. Washington is in one of the two power chairs of college football in a program that is only one of a handful to play for a national championship since the playoff came into, came right. into form. Right. But everyone in their right mind knows that as soon as that Florida job comes open, either next year or the year after with Billy Napier continuing to just be mediocre at Florida, mm -hmm. Florida his alma mater, by the way, or the NFL, which can pay any coach significantly more than the University of Washington. And many can. say that's where he wants and, to be ultimately mm -hmm. anyway. And you just look at where he has been in the past, and this dude does not stay anywhere longer than two seasons. He's Something like 18 places in 13 years. It's, it's, it's actually it 13 out of bonkers. The fact that a top 25 university has to result to hiring somebody they know will only be in the seat for two seasons before they have to do this all over again. Yeah is yeah, if it's telling the, the, the moment that college football is in and, and, and relates back to Arizona. I mean, how do you get attached to any of these guys? How do you get attached to anyone Dreadfish well, brings in? Well, see, now that's another part of the conversation that can take us a different branch, but very close to this one, and we'll get to that because I, I like that question that you ask. I want to just continue on this thread, though. Mm. This is what Andy was talking about. Andy and Mitchell, I love that phone call because he's talking about this. If I'm a Husky fan, I'm not happy. You just lost a better coach. I think Kalen DeBoer was the hottest coach available at the time. And then, of course, we're led to believe that Dan Lanning was up for the Alabama job and that uh, uh, Norvell was, and who was the third? Oh, Sarkeesian. Well, Sarkeesian saying no to Alabama while at Texas is, is you can understand that. There are two programs. At one point, Texas was way, way ahead of Alabama, but not in the last 20 years, but certainly at times. So very, very mm -hmm. equal. It's the same tier of right, job. Right, right, right. But for anybody else, Alabama comes calling. You take that job. Mm. So I know you said yesterday that I guess Washington had offered Kalen DeBoer $10 million, and yet he still took the Alabama job. And I know that wasn't the point you were making, but I was thinking, well, yeah, if Indiana offers and 
then Washington says, we'll give you $10 million. He stays. Alabama offers, it doesn't matter what Washington comes up with because he's going to get more in Alabama, and Alabama is king. You go. Otherwise, like you said earlier today, you lose your opportunity. No one will take you serious ever again, which is why you wonder, if you're Duck fan, you got to be really happy because in this day and age, which you were just sliding into, which was a conversation about loving a team and putting your heart into it when there's so much change going on, uh, and lack of stability and lack of uh, of uh, loyalty. This is the day and age of that. And he says twice, Texas A&M and Alabama, I'm not going anywhere. But then again, Mike kind of floated this idea. You thought of it today too, and we discussed it off the air. Maybe they weren't the number one choices, Sarkeesian and Lanning. Maybe it was DeBoer all along. And what I don't even think Mike knew, I know I didn't know this, is that all three of them have the same agent. Jimmy Sexton. He, That's amazing he to is, me. He is the main agent of all of the Southern coaches for, uh, for that aspect. I don't have the list in front of me, but I, I know he was the agent of everyone involved in that search. Well, He is the, if people are more familiar with Major League Baseball, he's the Scott Boris of college football. Yeah, He, he probably knew before everyone else that Nick Saban was going to retire, I'm going to guess. I, I'm, I'm going to have an I'm going to have an inkling. He had an idea how he wanted to shuffle things around when the opportunity was he, came he about. Nick Saban's guy too. Yeah. Oh, see now we didn't even talk about that yeah. this morning. It's it's almost like collusion, isn't Think it? Think about that. It's almost Saban like says Saban says to Sexton, "Hey, I, I'm I'm going to step down." And he's like, oh, "All right, hold all right, on, all right." Then you talk to uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Alabama. He was here. Uh, mm. Their AD. Uh, Greg Byrne. Yeah, Greg Byrne, our guy here from Oregon State. Okay. He then says to Greg, yeah, I'm going to step down. And then the agent says, okay, I got three guys. One of them, they say to him, we really want Kalen DeBoer. Hmm. Hey, do me a favor, will you? Will you kind of make it look like you are interested in Sarkeesian and Lanning so I can get those guys more money? Now, that is a lot of conspiracy theory. That's a lot of uh, thought put toward how much somebody's willing to help. I mean, if I'm Greg Byrne, I'm like, no, we're, we've got a job to fill, and that's what we're going to do. But you could let your mind go and say, because they're all connected, that it was Kalen DeBoer the whole time. But Greg Byrne doesn't, he, he knows that at Alabama, he could pretty much get whoever he wants. What my guess is, he's not even, uh, like, so he's telling Greg Byrne to, to hold up, like, let me do something. I will get Kalen DeBoer to you because we have this. Yeah. So he's like, let me float to Andy Staples, to Stuart Mandel, to Ross Dellinger. Let me float the list of candidates to them and let, let me tell them, tell them who I think the candidates are for this Alabama job so I can get their name out there in Texas and Oregon. They're like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. here. How much money you want, Dan? Ten and a half, eleven? Right. Here we go. Here's here's your check. So they sign that whatever without ever actually being the leading candidate because Greg Byrne all along knew they want Kalen DeBoer. It's an so, idea. So here's another thing that happened. I know we got Kerry Agers coming up here in a few minutes at eleven thirty to and chat Reagan about is hopefully at some point in the program. And uh, to chat about Oregon State football. But uh, so I know that uh, I was listening to an interview with Troy Dannon. The UW athletic director came from Tulane. Uh, he was on Brock and Salk yesterday, mm-hmm. and they asked him a lot of the questions like, hey, when did you have an idea that Kalen DeBoer uh, was going to leave? And he said around Thanksgiving, because he said they made him a considerable offer around Thanksgiving. Like, 
Who when did? I say considerable, Washington did. Made him a considerable contract extension around Thanksgiving, and he turned it down. Worried that he would go somewhere else? Yes. He turns it down because what? He's getting overtures already from Alabama? Jimmy Sexton knows a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess there there was some there was probably some knowledge out there of what was going to happen. Well, the bottom line is is that he is a great coach. Yeah, he is. And they got a good coach. And Washington lost a better coach than Jed and, Fish. Yeah. Even though Fish did a great job at Arizona. And if I'm gonna take a guess, I'm gonna guess that number that you great number you dub offered when he says like can't beat. I'm gonna I'm gonna say nine and a half at least, like a significant amount of money. To Kalen DeBoer, one that would make him one of the top paid coaches in college. Do you know what Alabama gave him? It's probably a little 10 and a half, 11 million. Okay. I'm I'm going to guess. But so money was not, from what I've read, money was never the the differentiating factor. I think the numbers were close of what they can offer. And even with UW making a half share of Big Ten money, they still had the funds to pay a coach that much money. So it's just. Crazy that the musical chairs that this all all wraps around and centers on one person controlling much of it, and it's it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again here soon because unless you've been living under a rock right. and not paying attention to NFL news, Jim Harbaugh is now interviewed for the Chargers job, and uh, I think he interviewed for one other one that I didn't know. What happens when the Michigan job comes open? Because Michigan. They, they look at every sitting college football head coach, and they're like, hmm, who can we have? But I don't know that there's anybody left that's a big name that would leave to go to Michigan that Alabama wouldn't have wanted. There, I think there are big enough ones, but they're different jobs. I mean, who would be the hot coach that? right now that would go leave their program to go to Michigan? Any. I can't for, think Start of any. with someone with Midwest ties. That's a start. Uh, but but second, it, like, like Michigan is a top five. In fact, I'd be upset if I was a Michigan fan thinking, who are we going to get? That's going to be as good as Harbaugh, as good as DeBoer, as good as uh, you know these guys, the, the three or four top coaches. Who are we going to get? They just won the title, mm. and they have to worry. Washington just played for the title, and they're crumbling at the... At the seams, they're tearing apart at the seams because they're getting a guy not as good as the guy they had, losing a couple of guys in the transfer portal because they're upset, and it's all crumbling before they go into a more difficult conference for football. Their offensive coordinator, uh, I, I think, would be the favorite right now, but I, I think any anyone with Midwest ties, a, a, anyone with... That's so. I was listening to, to Brock here the day before on Brock and Selk. He was making a really good point that he thought that Kalen DeBoer would be a Michigan guy over an Alabama guy because Kalen DeBoer comes from the Midwest. That's where a lot of his ties are, and he thought it would be a better fit. Kalen DeBoer, before he went to Fresno State, was the offensive coordinator at Indiana. So with all of those ties, he was like, well, I thought Michigan was going to be the one to, to go after and, and woo Kalen DeBoer away from Washington with the, with the significantly more resources that they have. I, I think Michigan would have their pick of anyone outside the SEC that they wanted to hire. Any any person outside of the Southeastern Conference, they could go and hire. And that will start this process all over again if they're going to go get a sitting, sitting head coach. It stinks. It stinks the fact that the top jobs in college football, it doesn't matter if the coach at another school is under a contract for 10 more seasons. They can go in and take anybody they want out of a, out of a seat and move them somewhere else and, and put them somewhere else. It all got me thinking with with both Dave's call, but especially Andy and Mitchell, about where the Beavers are right now. And while everything 
and, and Annie <laughs> explained it very well with everything having to deal with, including not only losing your coach, but your established coach, but losing your conference. Nobody can say that. Washington can't say it as they gripe about losing Kalen DeBoer. Arizona can't say that about losing uh, Jed Fish. They fl- flat out lost the Beavers losing their conference and their coach and everything that we all know to be true from the last three months. It has been a horror show. And yet, yet, having won the, 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 license, the, the, the league and the license and the money and the, all of that, and we still don't know how much it is, but we know it's a lot. They're actually sitting in a pretty good position. You'd rather be in a conference with stability, but then you ask, well, is everything stable? Is it stable? It is for one reason and one reason only, and I believe this to be true. If there is more tectonic shakes in college football as far as conferences go, if Florida State and Miami and Clemson take off and the ACC collapses, I don't believe there will be any other conference that falls out just like the Pac-12 did, where two teams or more or three or four are sitting there going, well, what do we do now? I think that it's a one-off for Oregon State and Washington State to have this happen. It's so unusual. I don't think it'll happen again because if there's another shakeup, there's already conversations with Brett Yormark about swooping in, gathering them all up, and creating a super conference with whoever goes and does that. And right now, Yormark would be the Big 12. You'd have 10, 10, and 10. I, I like that deal. So I think that it is stable in this respect that it'll continue to... It'll. I don't think there will be any more teams by themselves like the Cougars and Beavers are as of right now. I agree. Here's, here's a question I want to float out. Again, i got Kerry Agers coming up in a few minutes. We're about to take a break. Here's a question I want people to ponder. We can touch on this in the second hour. What is the difference uh, in stability between Oregon State and Arizona next season for football-wise? Besides schedule, what is it? Well, they have a conference which is paying them money to their athletic department. And it seemingly hasn't mattered. Well, right? we haven't got there yet. Uh, uh, well, we can... Uh, the brief similarities, both have now lost their head coaches to the Big Ten. Correct. Without without much they could do, period. Right. right. It didn't matter. So what is the what is the difference? Losing players, all that. Uh, there's Well, they, they still have yet to see who, what players decide to leave. Hmm. That second portal will open up and it may hurt them. Um I don't know if the gap I don't know if the gap's as big as we think it is. And those no, schools, they might I they I might be on equal footing. Dave, uh, Dave said yesterday he thought they were on. Beavers might be in a better spot than some of the teams in the Big Twelve. Well, they are sitting there without a conference, but they are sitting there with a big bag of cash. Big bag of cash. The schedule is really the only thing that I and think that's is not really a different. problem. It's there's some some powers on there. It's just is it going to be good enough? Do you have to go undefeated to get into the top twelve? And you know what? It's not like the Big Twelve's a, a stacked football conference next year. They have like two teams projected in the top twenty-five, and yeah, one of them so, just lost their head coach. So maybe you got to go undefeated in the Big Twelve to get into the top twelve, mm-hmm. or or twelve and one. Can the Beavers go to uh, go eleven and one and get into the top twelve? No, it's got to be undefeated, a, a completely undefeated. I don't think so. I think they can lose one. I would be shocked if there would be an at-large Big 12 team in the, in the playoffs. If they lost I don't to Oregon know. and then won every game out after that, they, they'd make the top 12. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. We won't know. we got a break because Kerry's coming up next. He wrote a tremendous article on Trent Bray and the Oregon State football program. And we'll talk to Kerry about a bunch of other stuff as well. That's coming up next. Reagan Beers, uh, hopefully in the second hour. We just haven't 
uh, nailed down exactly what time we'll get Reagan on to talk Oregon State women's basketball. Along with TJ, I'm John. We'll be back after this with Carrie Eggers on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, we continue here with the Joe Beaver Show and just thrilled to get uh, Carrie Eggers on the program. Carrie, a friend, a friend of the business, a colleague since, uh, gosh, for me, I, I, I was reading Carrie in the Oregonian and then the, um, I forgot what the name of the other paper was. Sorry, Carrie. And then what else did I do? Uh, we met up for the first time where we actually worked together, Carrie. Do you remember that, that Portland... Uh, Indoor Forest football Dragon. team, the Forest Dragon game down in San Jose when the quarterback got hurt, and yes. and you and I went uh, scrambling in the in your rental car to find out how he was doing and all of that. I don't know if you remember that, but not only did he get hurt there, and I guess he he turned out to be okay, right? Yep. In yep. He never was fully physically okay. Yeah, he had a spinal injury. And yeah. He was in the hospital for some time. I, I checked on him years later, and he still had a productive life, but physically he was never the same. Yeah, right. That was um, early years for me in broadcasting, and I had gotten up to doing the pro team and, and working with Bob Akami, and so Bob sent me yeah. on that particular trip. I don't know if you remember this, but during the, the pregame, in arena football they do all kinds of stuff, and they had a rope hanging from the ceiling, and when they shot off fireworks – the rope caught on fire, and no one noticed it, except uh, they had me in my broadcast site was in and amongst the fans, but in kind of a box. So I had plenty of room and everything, but there were fans all around me, and they were yelling at me, hey, radio guy, the, the place is on fire. And I'm thinking, well, there isn't much I can do from it here. And so the refs didn't know. Meanwhile, the whatever you put on the end of a rope to make it solid started to melt and drip onto the field like plastic will do when it's on fire. And then the flames were starting to go up the rope. Guys were scurrying across the catwalk trying to reach it, but it was probably 30 feet down, and their little little fire putter-outer things didn't, didn't reach it. And the game was continuing, and finally the, the referees were made aware of it, and then they kind of called timeout, sent everybody to the sideline, and they figured out, well, let's pull the rope up and then try and spray it, and they did. And uh, But the place could have caught fire. It was just a mess, but I remember uh, working with you <laughs> on that particular yep. weekend. That was kind of fun. Way back. And that quarterback, by the way, his name was James Gidry. James Gidry, that's right, James yep. Gidry. And yep. uh, those were fun times with uh, the Portland Forest Dragons. All right, Kerry. Uh, your article, a sensational piece of work. I, I love that you have your own site now because no one's telling you how long or how short to write your articles, so you can really sit down with virtually anybody on any topic and, and go as long as you want. Do you love that freedom? Yeah, I do. And uh, You know, I, I, I pretty much had that at the Tribune, not for the paper, but for the website, and working with Steve Brandon. He was a great guy to work with. But you're, you're right. It's more so now I can choose which stories that I which stories I want to tackle, and, and Trent was great. He was, I thought he was very open. Uh, one thing I should point out to your listeners is uh, one of the things they're taking a little bit out of context was uh, the return of Marco Bird. Um, I did not talk to Kyle Van. I communicated with him through Sports Information, asking him if all these players were back. He said, yes, I didn't ask him about Brewer. Mm. All I was pointing out was that Brewer had one year of eligibility left, so I don't know if he's playing or not. Yeah. Nobody should you know, just uh, just assume that he is playing. Yeah, I think you would put him as a possible starter just because of his eligibility yes. and the fact that he yes. he started before. But that's based on whether or not he's playing. And I don't know that anybody 
has uh, asked or has had that answered yet, or if they want that information out. But still, uh, good for the clarification. Carrie Eggers, CarrieEggers.com, joining us here. Well, TJ's filling in for Mike, and he and I were just talking about uh, the, the shakeup in college football. And we came to one question before the break, and it, it's just because we just were talking about it. I thought, I'm going to ask Carrie about this. Because I saw this in your article and that you asked Trent about making the college football playoffs, and then six weeks later asked him again, do you, how many w- losses can Oregon State afford now w- with the schedule that was released a couple of weeks ago? Because there is kind of some debate on, on whether it has to be undefeated or if there's one loss that can be had. Oh, I, I think, you know, if, if you lost to Oregon and went 11-1, and one, uh, I think you'd be okay. If you lost two, uh, probably not. But, but I, we shoot, I, I have no inside information yeah. on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it because we've heard uh, one loss or no losses, most people siding on no losses. My, my only thing, and what do you think about this, Carrie? And this is probably the most important thing, I believe, is that while the Beavers, right now everything's fine and dandy. This, the football season just ended. We're moving into basketball. Da 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 da. We're going to get into the summertime. People are going to go hunting and fishing, doing what they do. And then we reconvene, and it's back to the sports calendar year with the biggest sport there is, and that's football. And if as soon as the Beavers get mired in two, three, four Mountain West teams in a row, I think even though we already know it's a two-year grace period and there's plans or there would be a plan for doing something for year three and beyond, I still think that there needs to be some kind of campaign to remind everybody, hey, 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 this is only temporary, this is only temporary. Because don't you think that the average fan even just be like, what, another Mountain West team, another Mountain West team? Are we? What are we doing here? Even though the plan was laid out, already that it's only temporary well uh, you know this is all conjecture but i think as long as the beavers are beating these teams the fans are going to be just fine with it uh if they're going 500 against these teams there's going to be a little eye raising and uh, you, you know I, i'm not sure how they'll do on season tickets next year john I, I i see where they're not quote raising ticket prices are you kidding me now they have one more game i think they have seven home games right but i mean honestly they probably should lower the tickets a little bit honestly the ticket prices okay so now they're saying we're just going to keep it the same some people will probably drop off on that but the ones that don't i think that they will stick with the team i think they're excited about you know they're going to have at least at the you know at that level they're going to have a pretty good team i think do I think they'll go eleven and one? No, I don't. I don't think they'll go eleven and one. I think they'll lose some some games. But if you go eight and four, nine and three, I think that's enough to you know appease the fans and and at least for like you said, a two year period. Kerry Ager is joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Kerry, did Trent have any? Do you make any comments to you about about the level of competition? Was there any focus on what the schedule is next season, or was it more just focused on themselves? It, it was a general comment, TJ, about the schedule is favorable to us to having a good season. So I think he feels like they stack up pretty good against the Mountain West competition. He didn't come out and say that All right. explicitly. Yeah. Well, that's about as good as you can do. I'm curious, Kerry, when you're when you're talking to Trent, what, what was one thing that jumped out to you? Well, you know, I think his personality is similar to uh, to Jonathan, and they're both kind of understated. They're not. They're not guys that use a lot of words, uh, extra words and that kind of thing. But I think he's a little more, 
a little more communicative than Jonathan was. I think he'll be a, a guy that the fans can identify with a little bit more. Now, Jonathan was just fine because he was he built the program beautifully. But he's not a guy that enjoys the, the quote, fan experience or the, or the media interaction. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, with Trent, uh, he's also kind of understated. But uh, I think he will be a guy that people will be able to gravitate toward a little more than Jonathan was. And that's, you know, I've known Trent since he was a player. You know, I covered him at Oregon State. And, again, he was a guy you'd interview and he'd say hello and, and he'd be very uh, cooperative but wouldn't be expansive in his thoughts. Yeah. I think the thing that – another thing that stuck out to me, Kerry, in your article is – the, the difference in offense, he made it very clear that the offense this upcoming fall is going to be different than the one Jonathan ran. And I, the thing that stuck out to me and was brought up by one of our listeners yesterday was more explosive. And I'm thinking back to, to this past fall. I'm like, well, the, I thought the Beavers offense was plenty explosive. Did he give any more insight into how he wanted to attack being more explosive? Well, I, I think there was a dearth of deep, deep balls. I, I think... Gould and, and uh, uh, Silas uh, Bolden uh, both made things happen, and, but most of them were after the catch. Uh, I think he's looking to get downfield a little bit more and have some more. You know, a lot of those passes were you know short passes that, that they broke to make them long ones. So I think he'd like to have. But that did surprise me what he said. You know, I was surprised that he thought that they needed to to be to do something differently. Gunderson, his time under Chip Kelly, I think will will bode well uh you know chip chip knows the passing game and, and ryan's been under you know good coaches uh besides him mike riley for a long time and, and so he'll, he'll do a fine job i think as coordinator and, and, and trent was was pretty frank too with with how he wanted to uh, like what the problem was last season he he came out and he said it to you we couldn't throw the ball in the on the defense loaded the box to stop the run yes. and that's yes. about as as incriminating of a, of a reason as you can get and it without specifically name dropping DJ. It's like, Hey, listen, when DJ had to drop back in the pocket and pass, we couldn't do it. And I'm going to guess off of that, when he's going out and recruiting Giovanni McCoy from Idaho and Jabari Johnson, for, uh, uh, that's not his last name, is it? I, I forget whatever, whatever his uh, last name is from yeah, Johnson. It's it is Johnson. Yeah. Okay, cool. I got that right. Uh, from Missouri. It's yeah. like, well, I want guys like we got to be able to pass the football. Like we have to be able to pass the football from the pocket when the defense wants to take Dame away. Yeah, and and part of that will be uh, this isn't what he said, but I'm I'm surmising is if that offensive line can be somewhat as good as that last year's offensive line, I think was very good. But he's right when 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 the other team loaded the box, you you've got to take advantage of that. So will this team be able to pass protect this offensive line? Will they be able to continue to? To run and, and listen, if you talk about the most uh, deep position on the team, it's definitely running back. They're they're in very good shape yeah. there, so they're they're still going to be a running team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Carrie uh, Eggers from CarrieEggers.com joining us here on the uh, Joe Beaver Show. Speaking of candor, what did you think about about um, the openness with which Trent spoke about Oregon State building players and then USC just coming in and buying them? I mean, that's yeah. uh, not something you get out of a coach normally. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised that he said it, but I think he's exactly right. It's nice that he, uh, you know, called it for what it was. And, and it's got to be frustrating to him and, 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 you know, Oregon State and Washington State in particular. But even, you know, the, the, the way college, the landscape is now for college football, it's the, 
the haves borrow from the have-nots, and then the have-nots go lower, and everybody's you know getting screwed on the deal. You develop these kids, and then another team poaches them. It's just it's unsavory to me. It makes me. I've always enjoyed college football, but I have to be honest with you. I, I'm enjoying it less now than, than I have in a long time, maybe ever. I think I think a lot of people are, Kerry. I think it's good, though, that, that Trent is coming out and acknowledging that because if, for Oregon State to be as successful as it possibly can, I mean, that's the route to success because if you're going – if you're going to go into the high school levels, you're going to go for the top-line talent where it's essentially you're trying to get into a bidding war for players. That's not going to happen. So you need to be able to manufacture like what, like what, the quality of player you want. And if the guys are good enough to go get poached away, like Trent, I don't think he's going to blame them. right? He didn't blame Achille or Easton for going to USC for however much money they were getting paid. Great. They, they they earned that. They built he themselves. He blamed the system that allowed the, them to be correct, bought. Correct. And, it's, and correct. it sucks yeah. for Oregon State. It, it really does suck. But that's like that's what it is. I'm curious, Kerry, did he lead any insight into what the defensive structure will be for next year in terms of who's in charge of what? Well, uh, it's, it's funny you say that. We, we talked for about a half hour, and I didn't want to take too much of his time, so we didn't get much into defense other than saying that you know, he and Keith Hayward know each other pretty well. I think they they have they're on the same page. We'll see a very similar uh, defense to what you know Trent Trent has built the last two years. Uh, I, I think you'll see uh, you know a blitzing will be a regular package and and you know that and they'll try to put pressure on the quarterback. And that's something I think was missing a little bit uh, when Tibisar was there under Jonathan. And I thought that was a major por- portion of what Trent was able to improve on the defense. Do you, do you venture to take a guess or a prediction as to what's going to happen with the conferences here in the next two years? Well, um, I think the ACC is in trouble. It'll be interesting to see how the Florida State thing comes out. I, if the ACC dissolves, Stanford and Cal may be available. And if Stanford and Cal become available, you, you notice that one of the things that that said, and that surprised me again, we all know that there's going to be realignment in two years. We do? Okay, I, I didn't know that, but okay. So if you're surmising that the ACC you know, dissolves, then those two schools might be available again. And then you've got to pack four, and if you can get four other schools in two years when, when these Mountain West take the best four Mountain West schools, then you've got to pack eight again. You still have the property. Could that happen? That's a pretty good scenario. Yeah, and yeah. that's not even counting the rest of the ACC schools that might be available. Or there be, might be some of those. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And some, wouldn't be highly 12s. coveted. Yeah, you don't know, honestly. Do you know much about the Brett Yormark idea and it, if it has any, any legs to it? The what? Brett Yormark with the Big 12 watching the ACC and its potential collapse, according to crazy sources, saying that they're, they're looking at and, and perhaps working on, if that were to fall through, taking up the remaining ACC schools, the two Pac-12s, with the current Big 12s and making a giant Big 12 that has 10 teams in the East, 10 in the Central, 10 on the, on the West, which would, of course, be the old Pac-12s that are still in the West and the Big 12, and having a 30-team conference wow. uh, under the Big 12 title, knowing or, or waiting on the collapse of the ACC. Well, they got what the sh- Big 12 should have done initially was take Oregon State and Washington State and have a Western conference or division or whatever you want to say. So, you know, that would make some sense. But I, I hate to see a 30-team co- conference. That's just... 
Yeah. That's that's just unseemly, you know. How how are you going to nobody's going to play each other sometimes for years. So, um I I don't know about that. All of this to me and probably to you unseemly. The whole thing, it's crazy. It's money. It's it's out of control. There's another window that will open in April, and and I, I Mike and I were wondering, well, can guys jump in the two different windows? Literally leave a team, get settled, be within a program in January, and then when April's window opens, jump again. And the one answer yeah. we got was yes. Well, I, I wrote this. I think there should just be one one window, and it should be later after the bowl games, January. Second tonight, something like that. Uh, you still have time to get enrolled if it, if there's you know three semesters like there is at Oregon State, or if there's just two, uh, you still have time to get enrolled for that set next semester. Uh, and and then you know a, a week is plenty of time to make a decision on on if, whether you want to enter the portal. You don't have to make a decision at that point. Uh, but uh, to, to me, it's just I hate to see what's happening. I mean, why would anybody go to a bowl game anymore? Uh, you know, if mm-hmm. you, if their better players aren't going to play. Yeah, Carrie Akers joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show for a few more minutes. Carrie, after your conversation with Trent wrapped up, and you guys go over the roster, what do you think is a position that uh, maybe hasn't been highlighted enough that he, that Trent was 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 pretty was was pretty high on and is looking forward to this season? Hmm. Um. We talk mostly about the offense. Um, uh, you know, I, I think he thinks they're in good hands at quarterback, mm-hmm. and, and certainly at running back. Um, I, I noticed that you know they got a receiver now from Michigan that'll help the kid mm-hmm. from Westview. So uh, I think they're a little shy in, in the receiver department still. Uh, so that's going to be an area that he, he mentioned that they're not through and trying to get. I, what was it? I think it was offensive linemen uh, that they probably will add one or two more in the portal. That yeah. would be, be good. So I don't know that he feels like they're over abundant in any of the position, but certainly to me, and I think he, he said that too, the, the running back room looks really good. Well, not only are there guys still out there from the original window that haven't selected a school yet, but if there are more jobs. As soon as, uh, to remind all of our listeners, as soon as a coach leaves his job, the portal opens for the whole roster right. for 30 days. Oh, that's right. The right. entire San Jose State, Arizona, Washington, Alabama, yep. soon to be Michigan, and then whoever else comes after that. I mean, that's a whole boatload of players that are out there. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yep. Final thought, uh, Portland Trailblazers. I don't mind the position they're in one bit because I just I wasn't a Damian Lillard fan, and I don't care if they're losing big as long as they're building for the future. What do you think? Well, it looks to me like, you know, they've got the, let's see, the third worst record in the league. Uh, so if, if the chips fall, I might get the number three pick. They could get the number one pick. They're, they're going to, John, right now, they are trying to win, and they're still losing games by 30, 30 40, 60 points in one case. Uh, it's it's incredible. Now, they've had injury, lots of injury problems. Right. Uh, so, uh I, at some point, they're going to tank again for the third straight year. I think that's embarrassing. I don't think it's fair to your fans. The fans still want to see, a, a, even though they know it's a rebuild, they still want to see a competitive team. And sometimes they are, but more more than often, they've not been so far. So, you know, Scoot Henderson, to me, a little bit disappointing. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but in answer to your question, yeah, it's it's this is the way it's going to go the rest of the season, and they're going to hope to get another great draft pick. 
and, and, and then they'll be very, very young, and so they're not going to be good, real good. This is going to be a several years process. Yeah, no doubt. Are the people showing up? I know the tickets are sold, but are they showing up? Well, I've only been to two games this year, so I, I'm not the best to ask, yeah. but uh, they, they're not selling out. They're getting good crowds. You know, these, these tickets are sold before the season, and usually if you buy tickets, you go to the games, and, you know, are the fans grumbling? I, I don't hear too much. I think there's some apathy, don't you? I yeah, mean, I don't yeah. know. I talk to people, are you watching the boys? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not as interested as I used to. <laughs> well, that's, that's not a good sign. That's not something that they want to hear. No, it's not. It's not, but again, it's not a guy shooting him from one foot across the midcourt line and not playing any defense, and the team misses the playoffs by about five games. Did you see the shot he hit the other night to win the game in overtime? Well, yeah, there's, there's going to be examples, of course. The guy <laughs> shoot, oh, he can hit him from there. I know what you're saying. It had to be tough to play with Damian uh, because Damian was going to get the ball. I mean, I, you know, a guy like Anthony Simons was never going to develop playing yeah. alongside him. So yeah. I know what you're saying. Kerry, yeah. you're the best. Thanks. We'll get you on in a month and a half, two months, and then talk Beaver baseball, ranked seventh in the preseason. Right, sounds good. Okay, thank you, guys. Thanks, Bye. Thank you, Kerry. All right, Kerry Eggers. KerryEggers.com, really in-depth article with Trent Bray, breaking down virtually, I know they talk mostly offense, but virtually every aspect of Beaver football. Trent said they need offensive linemen. Well, this morning, the number one offensive tackle in last year's class who went played at Bama's in the, uh, in the portal. Oh. Might be too expensive for him, but can you there's get an someone option out from, there. Can you That's get an offensive about. lineman from a blue blood? Well, it's going to be tough. It would probably it would cost money, but we're I, told you know that there's money. But how much less do, do we have, or the Beavers have, than the blue bloods? How much less? Probably, we know probably. we know it's significant, but what is it? I'll say four million dollars on average, depending on the school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give or take. I think the number I saw for the top-of-the-line schools in their NIL fund is $10 million for football. $10 million. Even though, well, okay, all right. I don't know if it was total or just for football, but $10 million is a, is a let's use that number. That they can use for the sport. That they can use for either sport or sports. Uh, did not get the clarification on that. I think Joel Klatt said that. But... Uh, I, the, I don't think the Beavers the have ten million dollars. No, I don't think there's ten million dollars. So, but is I will ask. I will ask the NIL, the uh, the Damnation Collective here at Oregon State University. This is there a better investment than investing in a left tackle? No. Besides a quarterback, no. No, that's no, true. There's not. So if you're if you're ranking, okay, if we actually have to shell out money for a player in the portal, here's how we rank: quarterback, left tackle. Right tackle, everything else, <laughs> and there's a pretty good left tackle sitting out there on the uh, the the free market right now. Let's get our last break in. It's short. We'll be right back on 12:40 Joe Radio. All right, we have Reagan Beers joining us at 12:20. We'll talk to uh, Oregon State standout post player uh, at 12:20. They go to the Bay Area schools this weekend. Um, I was mentioning this morning on the Clue Morning Update how. It just, I don't remember when the changeover happened. Maybe it was longer ago than I thought, TJ, but it used to be home. The women were at home, the men were away, and then vice versa all season long. But these last couple of years, it's been both are on the road, both are home, both are on the road. Stagger the schedule, stagger the schedule a little bit. And it's pretty tough on fans, too, because you are asking people to go to four games in a weekend. Four in a row. And not just go, you're asking them to spend money for four games in a weekend. 
you know, for most of us, I, if I had to pay to go, I don't have to pay to go. But if I did have to pay to go, I probably would not go to all four games right. that weekend. You'd have that's, to pick and choose. That's tough. It's, so the question is, would I rather go to games every weekend and it flip-flop, or would I go to four games in one weekend? And that's on the league. The league did it that way. I yeah. don't know why, but uh, for whatever reason, that's what the schedule is. So Reagan Beer's coming up at 1220. Um, what were we talking about just as we went to break? Because uh, I had a thought. Uh, how, mu- how much would uh, the Damnation Collective oh, pay yeah. for Kate Oh, I know what I was going to say. You know how, you know, uh, there was one time when we looked, I don't know what the chart was, but a chart became available about starred players in football. This was way, be- way before Angie Machado. We were talking with Greg Biggins, and I, I don't know, I got a hold of some, some chart that showed all the teams that would get fives, all the teams that would get fours, and then everybody else. And the list was extremely short for fives. Mm. I mean, less than 10, if I recall, getting fives mm. across the board. And then even, there aren't that many fives out there. No. So it's like th- the fives are getting mostly fours. Yeah. Because I don't think you can have mostly fives. I could be wrong on you that. No, you But can't. I don't think there's enough fives. So you're getting a few fives and mostly fours across the board if you're Alabama. If you're Oregon, you're getting one five, two fives, and the rest, a lot of fours and some threes. Got it? And then there's a whole list of everybody else. And if you, if you look at it, most teams, and we're talking Purdue, Indiana, Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State, they're all in that same category, and this was years ago, but still basically in the same category of getting mostly threes with a smattering of fours. If you're a upper team in that division, that mm-hmm. level, the lower teams in that level might get one four if they're lucky, and this was pre-transfer portal. Mm. Well, now... Oregon State's getting a bunch of fours. They're just getting them through the portal. And that's fine. That's fine. Great. It's when you are recruiting a four or five star kid, like you're bringing them in and you still have to, you still have to, you have to build them up a little bit. Yeah. To say that. Which has always been Oregon State's mantra. Sure. Finding diamonds in the rough, building them up. And then back in the day, being able to keep them because there wasn't this poaching thing going on as it is right now. And that's better off for them. That is, that is absolutely. All right, we'll be back uh, here with our number two straight ahead. Twelve forty, Joe Radio welcomes you to the Joe Beaver Show, the only show on the electric radio dealing with life's greatest questions. How are the beavers doing this season? But with sympathy for life's hierarchy of needs. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Yes, please go to lunch. Take a long lunch. And join us as we ponder life's big question. How are the beavers doing this season? Groucho is in. This is the last hat of its kind. The beavers have stopped making them. They're all out playing football. Fields, he's in. What's out of Beaver's tail? And you, you're welcome in to the Joe Beaver Show, where we're not concerned with life's trifling questions. What do you know about life after death? But with visions of packed ten glory. You know how it's gonna be. And the inside scoop. Give it to me straight, Doc. So join the party. Let's make Joe famous. Sure, I'm willing. And now, here are your hosts, John. That's the word in the street, Johnny. Warren and Mike. I haven't dabbled in Kierkegaard. Parker, on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. Great, great stuff there from Kerry Eggers here in our number one as we welcome you back here to the uh, the Joe Beaver Show. John Warren, along with T.J. Matthewson, will be filling in for Mike Parker. I guess the 
the uh, the men's basketball uh, trip to Utah has been delayed by a couple of hours uh, at uh, I think Eugene Airport. So not a big surprise with the weather situation that it uh, is what it is. But you know, airports have their equipment to take care of things. But uh, I don't know. This ice has just been wreaking havoc on everybody, and now the flight plans. In fact, yesterday. I think every every flight got canceled at Portland Airport. Wow, what a yesterday. nightmare! Yeah, that was one of the what news a, stories. What a nightmare! It's like yeah, and I think of something as simple as I had a doctor's appointment at three o'clock this <laughs> afternoon, which will now have to get rescheduled. Unfortunately, if you like this weather, I feel sorry for you. I like. Snow, I really do feel sorry. But I don't for like you. what we have. You should here. seek help if that's the case. No, no, it's good. I'm it's, tired of, of of risking falling down every time <laughs> I take one step outside. And you're this like, is... TJ, you're young and spry. It shouldn't matter if no. you fall down. You're right. It shouldn't. I can get. I'm at the point where I can get back up. This but is, you know what? I'm is, tired of it. I know. And listen, this is unusual. I in my 58 years of living, I have never seen what we got this last week. In that it's all ice. And yes, we've had ice. Because we have silver thaws and we have freezing rain. But one thing we, I've never seen is ice pellets that came down all day long and then ended up looking like snow, but was actually ice. I've never seen that before in my life. And, and yet we got it. And the good thing about it is, now not everywhere, because there was enough freezing rain yesterday that caused a lot of power outages and brought some limbs down and brought some uh, power a lot in fact in Corvallis over 6000 people were without power as of uh, as of this morning but on Saturday when the stuff was coming down like crazy all day on Saturday the ice pellets i looked at the trees and i noticed they weren't being affected at all usually in a in a freezing rain situation immediately you can see the glaze around the tree branches and around the power lines Nothing like that. And I thought, well, we're not going to lose our power, and we're just getting this weird ice that looks like snow. Never seen anything like it before. I don't like it at all. I had a tree in my backyard this morning. I, I wake up, and I look out our, our, our back sliding door into our little backyard that I have mm-hmm. at my apartment. There's a tree hanging over the fence like this. Oh, man. It's not a big tree. There's no power lines affected by it. It's right, in someone right. else's yard. But, I mean, one of the sections of this tree is essentially hanging over because it's being weighed down by the water. And yeah. It's so strange. I've never had to drive anywhere where my wipers are. They're working, mm-hmm. but there's a coat of ice around them. And there's yeah. icicles hanging off of the wipers as they're wiping did off you, my windshield. Did you pull them up before that? I did. Thank went, God. Because yeah, yeah. that would have... I did it on Saturday smartly when the snow first came down. If I waited until now, I would like I would have probably taken forty five minutes getting extra to get into work this morning because I would have had to dig out. And my by car. the way, you live in Philomath. Did you see from last Friday until now? Have you seen any snowflakes? Flakes? No. Yes, coming out of the sky. No flakes. I, I never saw all one. pellets. Either ice pellets or freezing rain. Yeah. I never once saw snow. And it, yeah, it was no. There was no none of that picturesque snow coming down. Nope. It was all just the worst kind of it. Yeah, it was period. awful. Worst kind of. Reagan beers will join us here in ten minutes. Your phone calls are always welcome between now and then for the next uh, well five minutes because we'll take a break. Go ahead, TJ. Can I pitch you uh, pitch you guys on something? I, uh, we ended the first hour. Where I was like, oh, well, Trent said he needs offensive linemen still. There's a pretty good one out there. Yeah. Right. And Caden Proctor, who just hit this morning, entered the entered the transfer portal. I don't know how much money's left in the Damnation Collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I was going to say, I think every cent should go towards that guy. Because take a guess, John, how many five-star tackles there are in this upcoming recruiting, uh, this high school class? 
Well, I can't pretend to know because, or not to know because you told me mm. three. No, it's two. Even oh, less than was that. it last year? Last year there three? was five. Five last year. Five two this period. Year. Yeah. Five that went to three schools. Ah, got it. That's what my point was yeah. before we went to break, and that is there are very few five stars and and only a few schools that get them. You can manufacture, especially. Uh, like quarterbacks, you can you can manufacture through offensive structure, through skill players, etc. You can manufacture a productive quarterback. Like the difference, for example, between an Andrew Luck, who's the, your prototypical quarterback, and a Russell Wilson or Noah Fafita, who's small, but the offensive structure is good and it works. Yeah. You can make it happen. Wide receiver, same thing. Oregon State has made it work with smaller receivers because they're fast, they're good route runners, and sometimes you got you just know how to get open with, with your positioning, well, etc. They do most of their work after the catch. Or, or, right, and, and that helps. And you can do that with uh, defensive linemen, with swim, swim moves and stuff. That's that's a little bit more natural, too. But offensive linemen, those uh, you can't just grow. You can't just <laughs> develop an offensive lineman. Either you are 6'5", long-armed, 330 pounds plus, or you're not. That period. Well, with talent, because there's a lot of big guys. There are a lot there. of big guys. There's a lot. Of, I know a big guy who could have dominated in football only played the sport for a couple of years in high school and never played it again and is not aggressive, doesn't like to hit, and wouldn't be, but yet body type, perfect to be an offensive lineman. And there's a reason why a lot of these, like the, the NFL knows what they're looking for in these offensive tackles. Like they have all the measurables. They know what's going to be successful out there, yeah. and that's in part of what these recruiting rankings do to measure these guys and like, hey, how's this guy going to be a successful player at the college level well if he checks these boxes athletically that works out i mean offensive tackle more than any other position in the league it's all natural it has to be natural you it's very hard once you get to college and all respect to tanner miller who's now at michigan state right he's not built like an offensive tackle he's shorter he has smaller arms it's he's not built like a tackle There's, that's why he's a guard but when a guy like Caden Proctor, who looks like he's just grown off the offensive tackle tree, becomes available to all the all the schools out there who want to fork up the money for him, it's like, well, how many of these humans are there roaming the United States right now that are able to play offensive tackle at the collegiate level? Uh, Not many. With those measurables uh, that are available, three? <laughs> okay. It, it, that sounds worth it to me because it's a scarce resource. I just hope that 6'10 kid that's coming to Oregon State uh, can develop and is good. How, how do you, I wonder how you block at 6'10. I mean, I hear some tall guys. I mean, sometimes you'll see 6'8, 6'7 of tackles, and these guys are giants. I've seen a couple six, guys. 6'10 six, is, is, is almost, I almost feel like that's too tall. Yeah, because body-wise, you're having to reach down to do what normally is straight across from you. Mm. But I have seen a couple of guys highlighted, you know, like on game day. They're mm. just freakishly big. And you watch them, and they do pretty well just because they're massive size, and the other guys trying to get around them. Now, where the talent comes in is through strength, and they have to be able to hold their ground. Their, foot, their footwork has to be really good, and they just have to be able to keep their balance because their, their center of gravity is so high. When a defensive lineman flattens around the edge, goes around the corner of you, how do you defend that at, when you're that tall? It's, that's you hard. almost don't yeah, because it's, you're not quick enough to drop. And it, it takes it just that extra millisecond it takes you to drop down lower yeah. to get the guy in the ground. It, it's just, that's difficult. And in the game of football, the lower you get, the better you do. Mm. And I learned Especially that very early line. in high school football. The lower you get, the better you do on the line. 
And I'll just never forget it. The best example for that is when your brother wants to kill you because you're, you're, you're fighting and you're being chased around the house and you run into the bathroom and you put your foot at the base of the door and they can't move. You don't have to expend any energy at all. They, don't, they can't get through the door unless they want to break it off the hinges and dad will really, you know, get on them. <laughs> and so I remember doing that as a kid. So then I get to, you know, high school football and they're teaching us all these basics the lower, the better, the lower, the better. And at 5'8", and I was on the defensive end, so I was able to get my shoulders so low to the ground that this one kid that was our star player, he played uh, college football at Oregon, he would swear and come at me because he goes, I can't get low enough to block you. And then I would get so low, they would try to block me. They should have just gone over me. Uh, and then without hardly any effort at all because of the lowness, the running back would just bounce off of me in the or no, the lead blocker would bounce off of me, and then the running back would bounce off of them, and then I'd get all this praise. And I remember thinking, I'm just, I'm literally just getting low like I did, putting my foot in the base of the bathroom door so my brother doesn't kill me. And it worked. So 6'10", might be too tall, but I still like the idea of the height and the power. Glennie makes a uh, unfortunate point when it comes to... Uh where he thinks the left tackle is going to go. He says he's going to go to the Ducks. And well, you know what? That's, that comes from pain. That's, that's a, I just, I, but I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't be surprised. No, that's what I mean. That's what he's saying. Is, oh, that's going to go be to surprised. Oregon. And they, I, I feel it. I'm saying this it. on the Beaver show. Hey, they got it down. Because it's about money, and they, you know that they have as much I'm, as they need. It's, it's as much as they need and the process they have down. It's just so efficient. Yeah, it is so uh, – But is, I will say the Beaver Dam Collective and, is, and Scott and everybody in the program is, good. is doing a great job. Right. And there's a lot of schools. There's a lot of schools, which is what my other point was before we went to break about – the grouping that is in that grouping for for the three stars with a, you know, a real big yay yay if you get a four, out of high school we're talking is a huge group. It's mm-hmm. most of college football, and then there's a grouping you know where you get down to the Mountain West where they're all twos and an occasional three, but that group of all threes with a hopeful four, is a huge huge swath of college football. Uh, so nothing to be ashamed of there. Let's break. We'll come back switch to basketball and talk to a Pac-12 player of the week, which I didn't realize this, but it's been three years since Oregon State has had a Pac-12 player of the week in women's basketball. Reagan Beers joins us up next on 1240 Joe Radio. K-E-J. 1240 Joe Radio. All right, TJ, you ready to talk to uh, uh, a power player? Let's do it. Someone who's been uh, voted now as Pac-12 player of the week. Reagan Beers joins us on the the Joe Beaver Show. Reagan, how are you today? I'm great. You know, staying warm in this ice storm, but about to head to practice soon, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, this is crazy. Have you uh, seen anything like this ice? Uh, ice is a little bit different than the freezing rain and snow, but still, it's it's just strange. Oh, it's so strange. This It's not like the ice that I get in Colorado. Usually, the Colorado ice melts way faster than this ice has, so... <laughs> Reagan Beers joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Reagan, this is TJ here with John. So I did see as I was scrolling upon my TikTok feed yesterday, I saw the video you guys put out of your uh, managers trying to get the basketballs from Gill Coliseum over to the practice facility. Did they manage to do that without slipping again? They did. <laughs> they did. I don't have TikTok, but they show. They, they thankfully they show me the new ones that they make because they know I don't have it. Um, but they did. 
they it took a while, but they got him over there, and we we were, we were able to play, and we were able to have practice. Who, whose <laughs> idea was it to set up the camera to watch them go down the stairs? <laughs> I I think it was I think it was their idea. We have a one of our managers' name is Emma, and she films all of those. So I think she thought it would be funny, and I think she was right. It was pretty funny and pretty comical to watch that. <laughs> Did anyone else have some trouble walking across that that parking lot? Oh my goodness. AJ, my teammate, has a video of all of us, and we're like all scooting like little penguins because we don't want to take obviously wide steps and we don't want to fall, and so we're scooting like little penguins over to lift. Oh my goodness, it was the funniest thing, but yes, we were all very careful. Thankfully, nobody slipped yet, so knock on wood. Did, any, <laughs> did anyone have any ice skates? Um, I don't Smart. think so. I've seen videos, though, of people doing that here in Corvallis, but I, I don't think anybody on the team has any ice skates. Well, uh, yeah. It's crazy. In fact, if I was a basketball coach, uh, I'd tell you guys, just stay in your room. <laughs> because ankles and knees, I mean, there's a lot of potential there for just the average person, much less than athlete. Yeah, 100%. We're not allowed to ride our electric scooters right now. That's banned currently. Uh, as, as it should be, <laughs> unless you can somehow get chains on them. But absolutely, you should not be uh, riding those scooters. All right, so you're headed to the Bay Area. You're going to Go to Cal and Stanford this weekend. Uh, you're coming off uh, another great weekend for yourself. What can't you do? What? what I mean, you're, you're getting the rebounds and the points. Um, do you ever think about seeing if you can get double figures and assists? Yeah, I've been, I've been working on that. Obviously, I need to be better out of the double team, as anybody would watch our games. But honestly, we're just doing it because I'm getting where I need to be in the right position. I, we run the plays, we execute well, and then we get the ball where it needs to go. And so... Um, in the past few games, you can see that that's been happening. We've been executing well and then just getting the ball inside. That's one of our focuses is getting the ball inside, working inside out, inside out, because that's, that's how we score. Um, that's how we score best on our team. And so it's been great to see that work these past couple games. And now that it does work, we can just carry that over to this weekend as we head to the Bay Area. Regan, how have you been defended differently this year? Yeah, it's a little different. Um, I feel like last year a lot of teams – um, didn't send a double, or if they did, they didn't quite know where to send it from. And I feel like now after having that year under my belt, they kind of have figured me out a little bit and know where to send it, um, who to send, where to send it from. And so when that double comes, um, I've just been learning how to read out of that. And then obviously my teammates have been screaming at me because half the time I can't even see them, but I can hear where their voice is. So I'm like, guys, just yell my name four or five times, and I can like figure out where you are without even looking at you. But um, so it's been, it's been interesting and fun figuring out how to deal with all the different defenses that get thrown our way um, offensively. You know, you and I talked about this at the end of that Thursday game against, uh, I think it was Morgantown, and and um, really good passing by your teammates over the top. That's not an easy pass to make because the, the arc has to be high enough that it isn't going to go out of bounds and out beyond your reach. At the same time, it has to go over your head so that, the defender can't get to it. And in that particular game, it was done pretty well. Has that continued? Do you find that your uh, teammates are getting more and more comfortable making that play? Yeah, 100%. My teammates have gotten a lot more comfortable than that. We work on it every day in practice. And so that pass is so hard to make. I know when I go up there, I struggle with that sometimes. And so I cannot imagine um, they have to make that pass while being pressured by some of the best guards in the country. Um, and so they have been doing a phenomenal job of that, getting that ball right where I need to get it, right where only I can get it so I can just catch score or catch and pass it out um, depending on where I am. And so they have been doing a phenomenal job of that. It's just been improving, especially our freshmen who are trying to figure it out and trying to figure out how to pass to a post player like me and Sela and 
Kelsey and getting it up there. And so it's been awesome to see them grow in that. And it's been fun to play with them. Reagan Beers joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Reagan, when that double team comes, what's the checklist that goes through your head? What, what, do you, what, what, is, the, what is the order of things you're looking for with the basketball when that second defender comes at you? Mm-hmm. Well, the first initial one is always, can I score um, before the double team gets there? And so if the double team is maybe a little late, can I do a quick move um, to get the ball up before that double team comes? And if I can't and they do come, uh, my checklist is first, what's the easiest pass? And usually the easiest pass is straight in front of me. Um, and so it, all of our guards have been working, especially on rotating when I do get doubles, because sometimes um, we all have a tendency to like stand, even though I do that. Um, we all get stuck sometimes when one of our teammates in trouble. And so... We've been working on just moving and helping our teammates. And so when that double does come, um, Coach always said, what's the easiest pass, easiest pass, easiest pass, even if that is directly back out um, to someone. Usually the ones that are on, the guards that are on my side are guarded um, by someone. And so usually the easiest pass is the skip over the top somewhere. And so he has just been really emphasizing, especially for me and everybody else who gets doubled, is easiest pass, do we have enough outlets as a team? Um, are you finding an open window? Um, on the outside for Reagan or whoever is getting double to pass the ball out. And so that has been a, a huge emphasis. But my first, my first instinct is always, what's the easiest pass? If it's straight back out, then great. Straight back out, repost, get it again, and find someone else. And so um, that's, been, that's been a fun challenge that we've had this year so far. What about just using strength and taking on the double, assuming you have the ball? Because TJ's question really has different layers to it it's what are your what's your thought process when you get the ball what's your thought process when you're posting and you're already doubled and trying to get the ball of course you don't want to call for it if you don't think you can you know if you think it's going to get picked off but but what about you get the ball the double comes you're on the low block now you got two against you do you feel confident enough to say i don't care what they do i'm going up and they're going to have to climb on my back and you go score or do you even think that way there are times I do um, think that way, but that can be a dangerous way to think, especially with these bigs who are really good, like going against, obviously, Cameron Brinks this week at Stanford. I recently just went against, obviously, Lauren Betts and the UCLA crew. Yeah. And so um, there are times where I can't score against a double, just quickly score over the top, even if I am being doubled, um, either step, either split them or step through them. Like, there are times that is a possibility. Um, but for the most part, it, it's just so much easier to kick it out and repost. And yeah. then the help side leaves, and then I have one-on-one. Um, or just to kick it out and find an open shooter, which we have usually three to four of on the outside. And so there are times I think about, oh, I could probably score right now, but that's not the easiest, and that's probably not the best shot to take. Um, coaches always emphasize you can take the best shots. We have, like, a rating scale, and so four is, like, the best shot you can take, and so he's always wanting us to shoot fours. And we have been emphasizing that a lot this year of our shot, select, shot selection, and so we've been really focused on that. And most of the time the easiest pass and the easiest shot is just to kick it out um, to an open shooter who will then swing the ball and I repost weak side or something like that. And so there are times I would say that I'm like, oh, I, I should score this right now. And I do um, against the double. And then there are times that I'm like, okay, this is the easy kick out for a shot. Um, so, again, it's just that challenge of reading the defense. How hard is the double? Is it, is it a light double? Can I attack a double? Are they just hounding me? Is it a hard double? Do I need to kick it out? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just been a fun, it's, again, it's been a fun challenge and to see teams send different kinds of doubles and reading that. And, of course, my teammates spotting up on the outside has just been awesome. Reagan Beers joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. The Beavers will be on the road Friday and Sunday, both games right here on Joe. I want to go to the Sunday game, and you mentioned Cameron Brink, Reagan. What's the most challenging thing about uh, about matching up with her for, for a full game? Yeah, definitely. I feel like, she obviously, you know she's tall, and she looks tall. 
but you don't realize how much of a shot blocker and how much of an impact she has defensively until you play against her. Um, and that's what I realized last year. She, I always knew it's Cameron Brink. She's a great player, um, great competitor, and I knew that going into that game last year. Um, but then truly playing against her and figuring out ways to score against her, she's just so longer than I feel like I anticipated. Um, and so just her ability to move and block shots is just obviously one of the best. That's why Hillary she's so good. And so um, obviously that'll be a challenge on Sunday. I'm excited for the challenge. I feel like I've learned a lot since last year. And um, I have a great teammate who, if um, I am being doubled or if I do need help inside, I can kick it out and we can run something else. And so I'm excited to go against that matchup on Sunday. Talking about adjustments, you guys had quite the adjustment this past weekend, sweeping the Arizona schools at home. Weekend one of conference played a weekend two. What did you guys think was the biggest difference? Mm, that's a great question. I feel like we really are starting to emphasize um, offensive execution. I feel like UCLA and USC really just showed us who are some of the two best defending and pressure teams in the Pac-12. And so because of that, we obviously had a lot of turnovers um, that could have been avoided and things like that. And so executing against pressure was a big theme um, coming off of that weekend. And so from week one to week two, I just feel like we have been really been emphasizing um, executing offensively against pressure. Um, obviously, our defense always needs to improve. It always does. There are always things we can fix. But um, not turning the ball over in on offensively, um, limiting our turnovers and executing our plays because they do work when we execute them correctly um, has been a big jump from week one to week two and a big emphasis as we go um, into this Bay Area weekend. So right now you're in fifth place. The four teams ahead of you are all ranked in the top ten. And you've already, like you, you mentioned, played well against the Southern California schools down there. Do you feel like you're playing at a, at a level right now as a team you can hang with anybody in the conference? I do, and that is the awesome thing about the Pac-12 conference, and you never know. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, Cal isn't ranked very high, but then they went and swept the um, Washington schools not long ago, and so it, that is why I love the Pac-12 conference. Um, it's always up in the air. They could be ranked two. They could be ranked um, 25th, and you never, you won't know who's going to win. Um, and so that is what is so neat about this conference, and I do think we have the ability, if, when we execute well um, defensively and offensively, to beat um, anyone in the conference. Um, and I feel like anybody has that ability in the conference. Anybody can be anybody. And, again, that's why I love the Pac-12. The competition level is just so high. Great players are awesome. And so it's so fun to be in that competition, be in that fight, be in that war every single weekend. Last thing, and what was it like to, to play in front of essentially no fans? There were people in the building, but it was uh, not like it normally is in that last game. Yeah, that was that was a weird feeling. I really never had that because the year that um, that happened, I was in high school, mm. and we had a few fans allowed, but I had a torn ACL, and so I didn't really experience what it was like to actually play in that environment. I was on the sidelines, but I didn't really it didn't really impact me too much because again, I wasn't playing, and yeah. so this was the first time I really played in a crowd where there were no people allowed. So everybody, we had a little cluster of Oregon State fans behind our bench, and then our scout guys who were across sitting in the student section being as loud as they possibly could. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a really, it was, it was an interesting experience. But what was so cool about that is that you, I heard everything that our team said. And usually half the time in Gill, Gill fans are awesome and they're like the best fans in the country, so I can't hear my teammates half the time. Um, um, and I'm not complaining about that, Gill. We love you. We love you. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it was so fun to like hear all the little things that maybe don't get heard in a normal game. Um, or just getting on each other and actually hearing it and just holding each other accountable 
because sometimes that is hard during a game that's so loud when you yell at them and Gil is awesome and so loud that you can't hear him. And so that was that was really neat um, to be in that environment where you can hear and really just our, bring our bench energy. You can actually hear it. Sometimes you can't hear it during a game, but our bench energy was awesome. Um, so it was so fun to see that during that game, even though it was a little weird playing with no fans. Yeah. But the fans that did come brought all the energy that we needed. So, Well, that's fantastic. Best of luck to you this weekend at the Bay Area Schools. And... Uh, We'll see what happens, but you've got a couple of you, – you guys are playing so well right now. Again, uh, best of luck and have a safe trip. Thank you so much. Go Beavs. All right, there you go. That's Reagan Beers, this week's Pac-12 Player of the Week. The last time the Beavers had a Pac-12 Women's Basketball Player of the Week was in 2021, Aaliyah Goodman. Nice. So her coach now was the la- – I, I can't believe it's been that long. It seems like it used to be there was a run where it was – Oregon State was dominating and things like that, and – um, in fact, right at the end of 2020, which was the COVID year, when they kind of pulled things, it was in the middle of the season, and the Beavers were 15-0, and and that particular team was expected to get to the NCAA tournament with a, a shot at an Elite Eight or Final Four appearance, which they had done in previous years, and it all just got halted. And, uh, you know, things just didn't go, didn't go great in the ensuing years, but now, with a little bit of patience, they've taken time and and got everybody set and they're playing great basketball and mm. and and the the players coming off the bench they're just doing great and it was so fun to call that game a couple of weeks ago because you could really see it any opportunity for quality wins or just uh, it stacks up I mean, yeah. they missed out on a couple opportunities a couple weeks ago down in la but another opportunity this week you the, <sighs> haven't stacking up the the, the quality opposition for your net ranking and, and for your tournament path is, is ever so important. California first on Friday and then Stanford on Sunday. That's a big game. And um, Tara Vandeveer is one win away from either tying or breaking Krzyzewski's record for all-time wins in college basketball. That's impressive. That's, that's a heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, they lost to Colorado other than that because she was going to clinch it there. And I didn't – there was a headline or the first – Sometimes there's a headline and then there's a subplot line before you get into the article. And I thought I read something where she got hit. Did she get hit on the sideline or on the bench? Yeah, or a player or something uh, in that game where they lost. But anyway, the whole gist of the thing was she will not overtake Mike Krzyzewski until the next game possibility. Well, once she gets the record and and she decides she's eventually going to retire, is she going to make a public announcement that she's spending one more season, (laughs) one more season, I don't want the attention on me, but one more season... Uh, that I can I can go around and uh, and and coach one last season, not trying to get attention of yeah, uh, the right. fact that I'm retiring, <laughs> but uh, I just let it publicly know that I'm retired. <laughs> and if you want to offer me gifts when I come to your arena, that would be a much richer. Are you I'm saying not that that's what that Mike Shashevsky did? Oh no, I mean, yeah, no, he would never do something like that. All right, well, break. Come back. Your phone calls and texts here at four nine seven five three five six on twelve forty Joe Radio. We'll have to see if we can re- be reminded of what that term is. I, I know what the term is. I'll bring it up when it comes up. I remember it. All right. We continue now with the Joe Beaver Show. If we can, we might get a chance to chat with Mike here in the last 10 minutes of the show because um, they're delayed for several hours. Doug from Salem called in first, and then Dave from Tumwater's on the line as well. Doug, welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, thank you very much. I, I would hope that we could uh, kind of remember and, and thank uh John Bryant, Byrne, Byrne, who was uh, the president of University of Portland, excuse me, 
Oregon State University from about the mid '80s to the uh, the late '90s, 1990s. He, he became the president of the school after uh, Robert McVicker re- retired, and um, Robert McVicker he he let Joe Avanzano stay an extra year when when he should have been fired because he, he just basically wanted to kick the can down the street, you know. So uh, President Byrne came in, and uh, one of the first things he did was he fired Avanzano. And Byrne is basically the person that, that came in, and he hired uh, Dave Craigport. And uh, that was sort of a, the, the start, I thought, in my opinion, of the uh, emergence of Oregon State football. And it took quite a few years. Um, first of all, Craigport did had a good he had a good record one year in the pack. You know, eight, ten, twelve. He had a Pac-12 record of three, one, and one, which is very good. And he also started the effort. We part of a, part of a group of people that knew we had to improve the locker room and the weight room and the offices for the football team because the football team had their locker rooms down in the basement of Yale. And there for quite a while, the the locker rooms at Crescent Valley High School were better than you know this Pac-12 you know <laughs> right. locker rooms. Right, and so uh, it was a long, long haul. But uh, in my opinion, it all started. With, and I think John Byrne probably him becoming the president. Was, he's the most responsible person of anybody for the emergence of Oregon State football from you know the dark days of Mark, Mark, uh, President McVicker and Joe Avanzano. Well, there's definitely and, uh, a time. He, he, there's definitely he, he, a uh, time. Anyway, John, pardon. Well, I was just going to say, there's definitely a time. You know, we can always put time stamps on when certain things began to start evolving. TJ, in fact, Doug, TJ and I were talking about this this morning about kind of when the arms race began. So was John Byrne then behind the Valley Football Center? Is that really what got it started? Yeah, he he, uh, he was a president when when that that effort started. Right, yes. right. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away just a couple of days ago. Oh, wow. And so uh, I thought we should remember him for what, what sure. he did for us. No, that's good. I appreciate the call. That's great. I didn't know that. Uh, and, yeah, absolutely, he should be celebrated for that. Um, I don't know much about him. It was uh, while I was still living in Portland, just, just a few years before coming down here. Paul Risser was the president when I arrived in 1999. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's too bad to hear about his passing. But you're right. There's always a beginning when things start to go from the bad to much better and that's around that time is when the Valley Football Center was built, and then the rest is history. We've seen a lot since then. Thanks for bringing that up, Doug. Okay, thank you, Brian. All right, take care. Let's go to uh, Dave from, from Tumwater. You know, you know uh, Doug makes a good point, Dave. There's, there's always that, and, and I, I, I'm one who likes to try to pinpoint, when did it all start? What was, what was the beginnings of the evolution, whether it be on... Um, on sports or on cities, growth or anything in life, it's it's fun to kind of try to boil things down to where it all began. So I didn't know about his passing. That's interesting, Dave. Well, that was an interesting call, John. I was uh, glad to get that uh, insight too. I mean, hanging around folks in Corvallis as often as I do, because there's much more opportunity for conversation during baseball season. You've been a long timers there on the scene on campus. So I've run into several people who have a very high regard for President Byrne. I didn't know that specific chronology that Doug was talking about, but it does kind of resonate with other stuff I've picked up 
anecdotally about uh, President uh, Burns' tenure. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to do two things, if I could, guys. I wanted to... Uh, TJ had a couple very interesting... And I thought, without it coming across as a criticism, I thought there, uh, there was we could go much deeper into TJ's great insight yesterday about the NFL network, or the NFL closing down the NFL network and buying a piece of the ESPN action, because TJ, just to direct this to you, and so, I want to get to the coaching nexus, too, before I get the guillotine, but um, <laughs> that was very, uh, you, you opened an interesting window there, That and I mean this as a compliment, mm. but that speculation about what the NFL's engagement with ESPN could portend relative to the future of college football, as I think you implied, maybe a finally and fully going to kind of a quasi-minor league system. T.J., I, I, said, I say this as a compliment, that was Drake Toll worthy, immaculate worthy <laughs> speculation on your part. Well, th oh, thank you, Dave. His head is growing and, as we sit here. And, and I'm going to I'm gonna use this, Dave, as an opportunity to bring up the term that I was going to tell you I was going to mention of yeah. what the final product of that would look like for the NFL essentially creating their own feeder model and it's vertical integration that when you own the, when you essentially get to the point where you own every aspect of your, your money making uh -huh. operation, right? You would own the, you'd own the lower leagues. You'd own the, the media that distributes it. You would own the, the league itself, the teams, etc. All of that, and that, yeah. And there's one, you know, one step at a time. That's how how it could lead. Okay, well, it it's it's not a stretch to think that if the NFL buys part of ESPN and ESPN's running things as they are, that that would be the progression. But good for coming up with it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then and then there then there was the stream with the you'll recall the streaming conversation yesterday. Yeah. TJ, and there's been some uh, deconstruction of that number that uh, uh, Peacock put out there. So, uh, I know some people are looking askance at the 23 million, but you know how I always used to take off after Coach DeBoer when he was merely the coach of the University of Washington about the whole streaming versus linear TV yeah. thing? Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking that the networks like ESPN, I think, it, I'm sorry, NBC. Is, is is kind of duping itself because with this experimentation of streaming, it's not it's not NBC and CBS and Fox that are going to get that those streaming opportunities with the NFL. They're slitting their own throat and they don't even realize it. It's Amazon and Apple that is going to come in, and they're and much like Coach DeBoer was too dumb to realize what his decision making regarding the conference. I have the same opinion about NBC and the streaming of that game that is laying the groundwork for their own device and, inv and inviting bigger and deeper-pocketed competition. Speaking of Amazon, Dave, do you see the news today? Regale me, please. Yeah, so, the, so Bally Sports, or Diamond, uh, Diamond, whatever it is, that owns Bally Sports, which is the RSNs of many 
NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball teams, they're bankrupt. They went bankrupt about a year ago, filed for bankruptcy, and they're looking for outside funding. Well, it officially came about this week that Amazon's investing a significant, officially going to invest a significant amount of money in there, and there are going to be quite a few teams that are going to have games on Amazon Prime, make professional sports teams (coughs) whose home games are going to be streamed on Amazon's website. Learning of this, Dave, I just want to say that you know, you and I both have, from the very beginning, uh, from, I, I don't speak for you, but from the very beginning of the uh, of August fourth or whatever the date was, was thinking, why, why, why would you collapse your entire conference because of something that is actually going to be on the forefront? You'd be on the forefront of, of doing all of this with a company that has the deepest pockets. Now, I don't know who has deeper pockets between Prime and Apple, but certainly they both are way deeper than traditional television platforms. Why would you kill your conference? And then it went on to show that they had enough, that it would be well over $30 million a year, which is what the schools were getting anyway. So now TJ uh, regales us with this information that it, that's where it's going. We had the, the Chiefs playoff game. We had all these different things. And, and I know we're in agreement here, Dave. Why? Why would the conference fall apart like this? It wasn't because of DeBoer and the whole thing. It was because Washington and Oregon wanted to be in the Big Ten the moment USC and UCLA were invited in. Yes, but, John, let's go back and review the history. And as much as I've criticized Coach DeBoer, I don't think there's any denying the chronology here. He is the one that turned the head of his AD and the president of the University of Washington. He sold them a bill of goods. I mean, if the president of the University of Washington occasionally read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times and not the Chronicle of Higher Education, she never would have made that decision. But, you know, the board kind of tipped over the domino. And he, I mean, you can't expect a football coach. I mean, he was just, I'm not criticizing football coaches generally. I could never do X's and O's with them. But the football coach shouldn't be calling the shots regarding such strategic ramifications as your as your uh, uh, conference alignment and TV package, and I blame that on Kyle says. But, TJ, having touted a couple of gems on your part, I just wanted to clarify uh, uh, something from yesterday. Sure. Uh, again, again, just a con- constructive observation. Remember Bill's call regarding the taxpayers in the second hour? The point Bill was making is that all these high-paid college coaches working for these public schools, we all know the money for their current salaries is coming out of athletic funds, it's coming from donors, it's coming from ticket sales, it's coming from TV revenues, etc. But when these guys cash in their pensions, TJ, this was Bill's point, Mm. And they're getting 50, 60% of their average annual salary. That number, that ticket, that's being tendered to the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. That's the point Bill was making. And I thought that just needs, you know, with, with, with his whole coaching nexus and the astronomical salaries, I thought Bill made an excellent point, but I, he didn't fully explicate it. And I'm not sure you picked up exactly on what he was talking about, mm-hmm. but I thought that that's where he was going. But I want to end with one question. Sure. Th- thank you for that, so Dave. There, so there's uh, – <laughs> and I offer it constructively. No, no, that's good. I didn't know that. So that, that's good to know. So I want to end with one question from yes, Fisher's press conference yesterday. 
And, you know, I, and, uh, I've gotten in trouble with Mike and John from time to time because I, I criticize the media. But, and so who was being more credulous? Who was being more naive yesterday in that press conference? Someone from the press in this environment asking a football coach who was only two years at his previous place whether he's going to be there for the long term. So who's, who's being more disingenuous? or naive or simply dumb like Kalen DeBoer was with linear TV. The person asking that question or Jed Fish giving the answer he did. I'm genuinely interested in who that is a great question. That's a great question. So to your person in the media, did you want them to push harder? Well, uh, like, cause that question was going to get asked no matter what. Cause I mean, you have to ask that question. Yes, right? But TJ, my point is yes, but yes and no. It, it, it's it, it's so stock and trade. You you know you're going to get a mealy mouth answer. And sure. in this environment, what coach is going to say I'm only going to be here for a year or two, or I'm here for life? My point, TJ hmm. and John, is it's a dumb question to ask because no coach is ever going to say any. In fact, Fish was probably as candid as anyone's going to be, and so I just thought that was a weak-minded. Not, uh, it's not. It's not even a naive question. It's. It's just. It's. It's kind of the, the simplistic way all too many people in the media approach the question. And I just thought, if you're, if I'm looking at the, if I'm looking at the equation there, the question asked and Fish's answer, I think Fish gave a better answer than the questioner asked the question. Sh- just like, by my sh- point of view. Sure, and I will say that. It, even if you already know the answer to the question, in the end, you still would al- also, a lot of those people would like a quote to either write in the, put on online, put in the newspaper, or have a cut for radio that you can play and hear. It, it sometimes could be that simple if, if the person already knew the answer to that question. The thing is, is his history. Mm. And, and Husky fan, which is what the writer's a part of or, or writing to is going to want to know that the answer to that question because of the guy's history of bouncing everywhere. Actually, I did have another question. And I think this is mostly for you, TJ, as well, because I think you're more into social media than John is. Do you find that the current coaching staff of Oregon State football is more active in social media than the old Smith era college Coaching, football coaching staff. You know, this is probably a detriment on me, but I don't follow all of them, so I, I could not give you an answer on that. I'd say it'd be too soon to tell. I would I would agree with that. A little okay, bigger sample size. My, yeah, all right. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Enjoy the show as always. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for the call. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how I'd measure that. Is it number of tweets? Social media is pretty big for these coaches – First of all, they don't run their own Twitter accounts. I don't think Trent Bray is sitting there on his phone no. punching out all these tweets when, no. when something Smith needs to happen. Smith ever tweeted. It is, I think it is more to answer Dave. I assume Dave's still listening here. Um, the the activity on the social media accounts, uh, like the coaches could definitely tweet on their own if they wanted to, but all the good stuff that recruits latch on to and that the fans resonate with the most – that's the creative department. I mean, putting out right, graphics, right, right. putting out videos, that kind of thing. The picture that of is the, the recruit in the beaver uniform, stuff like that. And they don't do that stuff without the coach telling it. I had a friend who worked for Kalen DeBoer at Washington. He was in the creative department, and mm-hmm. his boss is essentially DeBoer. When he interviewed for the job, he 
interviewed with Kalen DeBoer because it's the head coach's vision of what he wants his online social media presence to be. Hey, I want a video of this. Hey, I want a graphic of how, this. How active was Kalen DeBoer? Very. I mean, he, a reason that my friend <laughs> no longer works for a college athletics creative department, and I'd love to hear what the thoughts of some one of the ones who works at Oregon State is, is mm-hmm. that I mean, it's a it's just like the sport itself. It's a twenty four hour, seven day a week cycle that you never you never it never ends. And he was talking about how often he's like, man, I just want a Sunday off, and it's like, nope, we got recruits in town on Sunday. We gotta gotta do more shooting. We gotta do mm-hmm. more 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 graphics for all these guys, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, that's part of a fleshed out social media vision from then Kalen DeBoer, and I, I don't know how Jed Fish is going to approach so, it. So um, let me ask you this. Maybe you know, maybe you don't from your friend. If um, if a head coach or any coach who has handlers, let's say, we kind of all agree. Maybe it's different with, with many of them, but we kind of all agree, yeah, that's not really them. But it is somebody representing them. It's mm. usually probably whoever their, their second-hand person or is. The, the GM. Right. The, the, so So that person is doing it, but does that person only do it when the coach says to do it, or do they ever do it on their own? Because if they do it on their own, they're speaking for the coach, and that could go bad. But do you know how that relationship was with DeBoer and your friend? That's a good question that I don't know the answer to. I would imagine the coach it would, have would to give... Be. I would imagine that the coach doesn't want to have to deal with the social media aspect. He would give the GM full power to do, to do what he needs uh, to. But he would have to say, I would think at one point... Hey, this is what I'm doing. Look, look at what we're doing. Or just say, uh, text him a thing that says, "Hey, tweet, good job, Beaver Nation." For example, on social media for this station, which, uh, like you and Mike, are not social media people. You don't live online like I do. No. Which credits you. You're probably a lot healthier off because of it. But if you were, if you were like, "Hey, TJ, I want you to run everything when it comes to this station's presence online." Like, uh, which am I've I running? Am I running? Meaning to do? Am in I fact, running? I thought like, I gave you the keys no, to the car. I don't think so. Years ago. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you have the right. Uh, well, as soon as this the, show's over, you're getting the keys to the car. Okay. Um, but if that was the case, like if, if you said, "Hey, TJ, you're going to run that," you as the as the PD of the station, would you be like, "Well, TJ, I still want to know everything what we're doing." Yes. So there you go. So it might yes, be that I way would. with coaches, but not every coach would be that way. Like is Nick Saban? I would say is yes. Nick Saban to worried about every tweet that comes out from, uh, from his team's social media account. Uh, if you want to. Yeah, if you want to protect your yourself mm-hmm. and your reputation, yeah, absolutely. What's amazing? And it isn't personal. It's not personal. It's for for insurance. It's just but 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 like I would with you, I'd say, look, just if you're going to do anything that I don't know, just ha- hopefully you have the knowledge that if you're going to push any envelope, you don't. And if you if you want to, then ask. Otherwise, hey. Beaver game tonight on 1240 Joe Radio. Absolutely. Fire away. Isn't it amazing that Nick's in this age of social media, the greatest coach of all time who continued to dominate till he retired, did not have a Twitter account. I don't think Nick Saban has a Twitter account. And now he doesn't need one. (laughs) Uh, That's a great question. It is. Great point. All right. (laughs) We'll do it again tomorrow. See you.